Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. George Brockler back with you here, 710 KNUS. It's hour two of four. Chuck Kirk after us for a couple hours, then Dennis Prager, Seb Gorka, and then at four o'clock, Brandon Tatum, and then we'll be back, of course, at 6 a.m. 47 years ago, someone named Patty Calhoun started up a little thing called Westward. It is going strong, bigger and better than ever. She has foolishly agreed to come back onto the radio with us. Patty, thanks for joining us. No problem. It was great seeing you last week. Great seeing you. Very fun. But, of course, we look very obsolete already because of everything that's happened Friday and over the weekend. I know, but you guys felt that the week before, remember? I mean, there was all these things that we comment on and sort of prognosticate on, and then it's like as the show goes dark, all the news breaks to say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Just craziness. Well, and you, who could have predicted? I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court, now we did know some kind of decision would have to come down by the 5th, but we didn't know that when we started scheduling Thursdays, for example, or the end of our year end when we did it. We did it two weeks in advance. That was before all the U.S. Supreme Court on the Trump presidential eligibility. So it's uh, been crazy. And then, of course, I heard you talking about Lauren Boebert today, and that's that's an unusual one. Well, we should talk about that, too, because, you know, um, she's had quite a year in the news. Um, and that's aside from all the politics stuff, whether it was all the the Beetlejuice stuff, the fundraising prowess of her former opponent, Adam Frisch, out there on the Western Slope, the decision to move over to the fourth. I mean, talk about the talk about what you think this means from the bystanders point of view here, because she's going to appear, in my opinion, on more than the primary ballot. I said this last week on the show Um at least given the way things are right now, and my God, after yesterday or two days ago, I, anything could change. I think she still wins the nomination. Wow. Well, I don't, but we'll see. One of the things you brought up this morning, which I think a lot of people don't realize, is in accusations of domestic violence in cases like that, there's usually someone has to go away. I mean, someone, they're split up in order to make sure. No one, there's no violence after the incident, right? So if there's a suggestion of something going on in Silt that night that was domestic violence, there has to be some kind of record. Someone had to go somewhere with law enforcement, right? That's the problem, is that there is a mandatory arrest statute, and given the nature of just, and we don't really know what went down, right? We've got this sort of, she gave this response, and it talks about, hey, I didn't punch him in the face, and all this other stuff. There's really only one standard, and that standard is probable cause. And so they either believe Jason um, when he says she hit him, if that's what happened, or they don't. And if they don't believe her, then, okay, there's not going to be any charges ever for it. But if they believe him, and I don't mean like beyond a reasonable doubt, 100 percent, I mean, probable cause standard, more likely than not is just about the standard. Um, They got to arrest. 
There's, there is no, well, let's think about it. I mean, maybe they're going to get video, Patty. I don't know. Maybe there's some other witnesses to interview. But what's interesting, and Billy said this off air, is it feels a little bit like a double standard here or a second level of justice. Because if it's Patty Calhoun and um, if it's George, if it's Billy, you and I are going away in bracelets. Right. Like there isn't going to be a let's step back and we'll consider this. We'll let you know if we think it's domestic violence several days from now. And it feels like that is a product more of who she is than what the crime is. Right. Exactly. And so that's definitely going to affect this. It's, it's a very personal situation. Obviously, some marriages end not very harmoniously. And we've already seen that her post split up behavior with Beetlejuice, you know, with this. That is going to, even though it's very personal, it is certainly going to affect her professionalism, elected professionalism, and her race when she goes. So I'm not so sure that people in District 4 are going to be thrilled to welcome her. I'm not even sure she can get to the level she would need to. I just think with so many people in the race, and if you consider the multiple ways someone can get onto the ballot... If it was assembly only, you'd be limited to three, just based off of math, maybe four if some, yeah, but you've got the petition process. I think there's going to be at least three or four people on the ballot. That makes the threshold pretty low. And what happens when Donald Trump comes out and endorses her? Then what? Uh, Well, she could go over 25% then, because when you look at the people who Donald Trump, the people who support Donald Trump, that it would be enough if they voted for Boebert in that area to get her over the top. And by over the top, it means just be on top of the four or five who make the ballot. That's true. And then, you know, after the show as well uh, that we did, all of a sudden, um, while we're wrapping up our show on Friday, a guy named Doug Lamborn, who has quietly been a 17-year veteran of Congress down in the 5th Congressional District, which is El Paso County, decides he doesn't want to run anymore. What's going on? Well, you could just see at 69, he, this would have been his 10th term. Maybe he says after 30 years in public service, I'm ready to move on. I believe that. Plus, it cannot be that much fun to be in Washington, D.C. right now. The end result of someone deciding they've had enough and want to go on with their next chapter, which is what he said, is that finally you see just how many people do want to get into public service and are looking at that race. So... Just the same way so many people jumped in on the 4th when Ken Buck decided he wasn't running again. Look at the number of people lining up in the 5th, and there are strong candidates there. That's going to be a wild race. I don't know what the current list is, but it is interesting to me, and I hope we can get him back on the show to, to talk about this again. But we're talking about Dave Williams, uh, current chair of the state GOP Uh, Wayne Williams. I've even heard Rose Puglisi. And if you think about that, too, Patty, you're talking about an already diminished contingent of Republicans at the General Assembly, especially on the House side, a super minority. And look at the people that are running for Congress. Holtorf, Lynch, Gabe Evans, Rose Puglisi. I mean, who's left? Well, let's see. We've got we're going to have more vacancy committee votes. You know, 30 of the people in the legislature right now weren't originally put there because of the vote of the people. So we could have a lot of more action by the vacancy committees, which will give the local political, uh, the state political parties more power, which is another issue. Of course, if Dave Williams actually does run for Lambert seat and somehow wins it, I guess that'll help the Republican Party. 
I just wonder what happens here. Um, it's interesting. We had Dave on the show, and Billy and I are going to co- go and try to find the context of the statements. But I swear, I asked him way back in earlier part of this year when he either was running or got elected to be chair, hey, a lot of folks think you're going to end up running for the fifth. And he said, no, that's not going to happen. And I don't think he demurred at it. And now, again, Lamborn was still in the race, but... I'm not sure that the question was couched in terms of if it was open, would you run? Do you know what I mean? It was just like, hey, some people think you're going to run for the fifth. Hell, you did already. And he said, no, I'm just interested to see if that has any traction to it. It's going to be a wackier year than I ever thought possible in 2024, at least on the Republican side of things. What's going on on the Dem side? And when I ask that, I don't mean from election chaos. I mean from the standpoint of the General Assembly gets underway this week. And is it going to be a circus? Oh, I think it's going to be a circus for sure, because you have, on both sides of the aisle, you have the far left, the far right, and then people trying to control those acts that are just going to be crazy. So, um, it you know, you've got the Epps, you've got Tim Hernandez, you've got Bottoms, you are going to have a really unbelievable amount of shenanigans there. Oh, my gosh. I... I um... 26 people, we talked about this on the show too, 26 Democrats, four Republicans are appointed into those positions. 30% of the legislature at this moment has never had a single vote cast for it outside of the context of a vacancy committee thing. I just wonder how much that changes the dynamic, how much it impacts the legislation that's going to be offered. I don't know how we fix this. It's uh, it, We're just in bizarre times, Patty, and maybe I'm making more out of it because I just don't have the same perspective you have. Is this a different year than you've ever seen before, or have we been down this road before? Well, we've been down, we've been on the road to crazy land before, but this seems to be, I mean, you have the days back when Tancredo was there and Sam Sackham, and that was decades ago, but I mean, it was wild in the legislature, but this does feel different because it does, it feels like it's a three-ring circus, but the big top is the presidential race and what is happening in D.C., so that there are so many different influences that are com- that are over overpowering and overshadowing everything that's going to happen in the state. And if you have people who are not, who don't feel they have to represent the voters because the voters didn't put them in, I guess a lot of it will depend on do they want to run again? Will they have to have voters like them, or do they just want to go in and have some fun and do the bidding of their party and then get out? So... We'll see starting Wednesday just what this legislature is going to look like. It's crazy time. Um, Patty Calhoun from Westward. On the local level, which has also become national, I saw uh, Mayor Mike Johnston make some of the national rounds on some things regarding the uh, migrant busing issue. The fact that we had last year 36,000, I think an influx of 36,000 migrants into Denver and all the things that flow from that. How big of a deal is this in the early days of the Johnston administration? It's a huge deal. It's interesting. He was on Fox News this weekend. Last weekend, he made the rounds of MSNBC, I think, CNN. I mean, you see him a lot. And considering that he wanted to make a hallmark, the very first part of his administration, getting people off the streets, but he was focused on the homelessness issue then. This is a completely different issue, but what it does is it uses so many of the same services, so many of the same spaces. 
it's really challenging. And I know, I think it was the Gazette did the fact check because he said there were more, Denver's getting more people per capita than any other city with this with the migrant influx and the buses. And it's true. I mean, Denver is deep getting more people, and he's estimating huge amounts of money that is going to have to be used to somehow deal with this influx of people. New York City is filing a lawsuit against the busing companies uh, that Texas is using to help move these migrants around. Have you heard any word of Denver considering the same? I have not, but certainly there are mystery ghost buses, they call them, dropping people off at very random places in Denver. Now, also kudos, last week, Johnston did deal with that one encampment of migrants, not, and again, separating the population from the homelessness people, the homelessness, homeless encampments. So those were swept at the very end of the year downtown, and downtown is actually looking pretty good if you go there. So this encampment up at, uh, by Spear Boulevard in Zunai was swept, and, you know, almost as soon as those people are moved and moved into intake centers and go into shelters, you've got more people coming in. And I've heard, but I haven't looked yet, that they're heading back that direction. You know, uh, the other thing that's going on right now that I don't want to lose sight of because it's it's positive is uh, the Super Bowl of livestock stuff. And that would be uh, the the stock show, big time stock show that's going on. Have you had a chance to get up there? I have. I went to the the opening for the Coors Art Party. Um, Record numbers of people went in this weekend when it opened on Saturday. And the Mexican Rodeo, which was jammed on Sunday, different Mexican rodeos and we're putting up a slideshow this morning. It looked great. So the stock show is a real celebration this year. I mean, it's getting more positive feedback and people looking at what the new campus is looking like. The Colorado State University buildings are incredible. People should absolutely stop in and see what's being done there. And those are operating year-round. So it isn't really a 16-days-in-January event anymore. There's so much more going on. I have uh, looked at online at the calendar. I'm trying to figure out the best day to go and trying to juggle that with when the kids go back to school, which is tomorrow. Uh, and I'm sure that they're dreading it, just like I did when I was a kid, when you'd think, oh, my God, I've got weeks you know, over the winter. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, it's tomorrow. Uh. So I'm trying to figure out a way to get them up there. Um, the smell. Well, one thing. Yeah, go ahead. Listeners, there's snow, but tomorrow it's free to go to the de- stock show. To get onto the grounds is free. So you're saying cut, so, and cut school. Yeah, cut school is exactly what I'm saying. Uh, there's snow, for sure. I, I don't know what the rest of this week looks like because I don't believe any of the weather people we have. They're all super nice, great people. They're some of the most popular people on TV locally, and yet they tell us lie after lie after lie, and we just seem to accept it because they're never right. But... Um, I was going to talk to you about the fact that the one, the one, and it's teeny, 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 tiny because it's so muted. But the one thing about the stock show is um, sometimes there's a bit of uh, smell in different parts because, of course, they're living animals that do living animal things. But it seems to me they get benefited by the fact that the worst smell is coming out a mile high because <laughs> that team, what, <laughs> what's the impact of the Broncos just completely melting down now at the end of the year? Well, that, yes, there is a lot of manure in Empower Field right now. When you think they didn't even make that winning season, I mean, Peyton was so like, maybe we'll be 9-8, won't that be great? We can rebuild, and they didn't even get that because of that real stinker of a game yesterday. So at this point, they're probably calling you to recruit you to be a quarterback. Oh, you know what? 
Yeah, I, maybe it is just not good. Maybe I'd be willing to give it a shot. In fact, that would be a heck of a thing to get people. Oh, they already get people in the stands. It's much like the Rockies. Like if they had you take the field day at Rockies Field, you know, at Coors Field, where they just randomly draw a number and all of a sudden Patty Calhoun's playing shortstop or something. You know, I think that would really change the game for the better. But what do I know? Um, when you look at the coming, when you look at the coming uh, week here, legislature's going to dominate this. What else is out there that folks are just not paying attention to that should be on their radar? Well, let's also remember it's MLK week. All the events are starting for that. Oh, too. yeah, 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 yeah. At week. I mean, today is the, um, the, today is the big Aurora event that kicks off a week of activities. Tomorrow's the big uh, humanitarian concert at the Colorado Symphony, and that's free. Um, so it's a big week in Denver that is kind of going to obscure all the issues we have going on with the election, with the legislature, it's busy. Yeah, it's busy. I The MLK thing is real. And back before I was on the radio, when I would be able to get to go to all of these great events as the DA, they're really something big. I mean, everybody from the community comes out. The Marade is a huge deal. The weather, uh, always a question mark, but it's always a huge deal. I, I wonder, and Patty, I'm not trying to make you out to be an MLK expert any more than I am. I'm not, but I just wonder all these years later if we, on a broader scale, not just with race, but on a broader scale, if we haven't lost sight of what a lot of his message was about for us as a people, as Americans, independent uh, of race, and if we haven't found ourselves at a place that he wouldn't recognize. I just don't know. Well, and when you think about another concurrent event that's going on, the Elijah McClain case. So we have the police oh, yeah. officer sentenced last Friday. We have the paramedic sentencing coming up in March. In March, you have to think that the Martin Luther King message and what's gone on with policing since George Floyd oh, and yeah. just the discussions of it are as important as ever. So the Marade is not today. It's a week from today, but there are events leading up to it. And I think it'll make people think about their government, think about their social roles, think about equality, think about what all those things mean. And ideally, we will always discuss it and keep it in mind. Randy Rodema, former Aurora police officer who was convicted of criminally negligent homicide and the death of Elijah McClain, in addition to third-degree assault, sentenced... Uh, you're right. Last week, uh, after we were off the radio, to 14 months of work release concurrent with a sentence that was a condition of probation. What was your reaction to that sentence, Patty? You know, I think that sentence, it was interesting. He blamed the kind of the, how everything got set in motion by the 911 call that was made when Elijah McLean was walking home that day. Um, I think probably that sentence is fair. It's just so tough and so tragic, and we'll see what happens with the paramedics who injected the ketamine, which ultimately did wind up, as far as I can tell, is what ultimately stopped his heart. But it's just so tragic, and you just see so many places along the lines that day when someone could have stopped and said, wait, this is not going the right way. That's interesting. You're right in that. Had there been one different decision along that chain, this was not inevitable, right? Like this didn't have to go down this way. One different decision and there would have been a different outcome. I think if you're the paramedics, 
you have to view this sentence as a bit of foreshadowing. I just don't think those guys are going to get straight probation. I think they're going to be incarcerated, too. It's just it would be too hard to only have the police officer go to jail on this one. Uh, the work release thing is interesting. We'll talk about more of the details of that later. But um, I thought it was one of those sentences where I'm like, okay, I didn't quite see that coming. Like, I didn't think he was going to walk out of the courtroom with just probation. I didn't think he was going to go away for three years of prison. I thought it'd be something in between. But I hadn't expected the judge to use the misdemeanor as the vehicle for the largest part of his sentence, which is the 14 months of work release, which he'll never do 14 months, but nonetheless. Well, and it was interesting because the judge did give a very uh, reasoned interview afterwards and talked a lot about what was going on. And it's just such a tragic case, and you hope everyone has learned lessons from it, from the people who make the calls to 911 to the people who respond to parents and you know, with other incidents that are out there, with parents and their kids, just keeping people, maybe tell them how to behave, both when they're out and when out encountering law enforcement when they are law enforcement. But in this case, it could have stopped so many points in, what, a 30-minute continuum. It uh, What struck me about listening to the sentencing, and I did, especially um, the folks that ended up coming up talking for Odame, I was tied up for some of it, um, was that it would be easier understand and appreciate this case if it was this guy the the cop was just a huge jerk who'd had a history of excessive force and he was a bad guy and all this other stuff but it wasn't that way at all i mean the innocent person through this start to stop no question about it was elijah mclean but when you listen to the former marines who served with this guy i mean this guy was he's a disabled veteran right like went to war kept guys alive got injured for it and it sounds like even in the performance of his duties guy was good at what he did but in that moment for whatever reason for whatever reason just completely misplayed the decisions that he had to make there that led to the death of this innocent young man and so i found myself sitting there going yeah what price can there be now what's that punishment you give to a guy who is by all accounts a decorated war veteran who did this horrible thing like I, but it's not murder it's not murder it's not manslaughter it's negligence it's it's a criminally accidental almost like what do you do with that like i thought to myself man mark warner who's the judge that dude earned his pay that day and for those trials it's just it's not obvious to me what the right outcome is right and you can tell he really really put thought into it and he's not done no, no, no. My gosh, the paramedics thing is coming up, too. Uh, Patty Calhoun, we love having you on. Thanks for making time this morning and uh, can't wait to see you again. My pleasure. See you soon, George. Take care. Hey, that's Patty Calhoun. You can always check out all the great stuff she does at westward.com. And there's a bunch of it there, by the way, a ton of it there. I, uh, I'd i like to, when we come back, have a conversation about some of the stuff we talked about with Patty. I think her insights are invaluable. Do want to talk to you about the Bobert thing. If you haven't heard, and maybe there's some sound out there. I didn't ask Billy to get any, but maybe there's some sound out there. Um, but some stuff happened over the weekend, and it's just questions we got to continue to ask as this thing develops. Uh, always recognizing, of course, that uh, <laughs> nothing that happens today uh, foretells the future. Uh, no mistakes that anyone makes in one day tend to lead to a, a known outcome. So when we talk with patty or you or others about hey what do you think is going to happen 
I know it's as things are right now, and you can't predict the future, but I think we need to talk about what took place, what the potentials are, and where this thing is going to end up going. Uh, you can get your your phone lines fired up here at 303-696-1971. It's George Brockler on The George Show. You're listening to 710 KNUS. George Brocker back with you here, 710-KNUS. Uh, earlier, well, I guess later last year, uh, the state of Colorado was poised to do something bad in terms of how it was going to distribute this, that, and the other to discriminate against schools, specifically religious schools. Our uh, next guest penned a letter to the governor on December the 11th, 2023, less than a month later. Dang, did she get some kind of results here? Joining us on the line, superstar conservative former chair of the state gop her name is christy burton brown thanks for joining us hey of course george thank you uh first off your 17 children who's watching them while you're on the phone (laughs) (laughs) they're still sleeping their school got canceled today because of the weather and they're homeschooled they are. They <laughs> so, so when school gets canceled, so, so. <laughs> I love it when school gets it's canceled. It's actually a real program. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that mom cancels homeschool. I get it that it's a pro- program. There's online and stuff too. I love that <laughs> idea. Funny. Yeah. Is there a website they no, have to check awesome, to though. see if mom canceled? I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> You're so funny. Set set the stage for us, if you would, about what this thing was, this policy that Polis was set to put in place before you intervened. Yeah, so it was a just really concerning policy that the state decided to put out. As you know, they've been doing UPK, universal pre-K, over the last year, and the state opened up to all private preschools. And so, as you know, Supreme Court precedent says that if a state is going to pay for private schools, they can't exclude religious schools. So for the last year, the state has actually had mostly <laughs> a few few um, problems with how they word it, but mostly the right standard with, okay, hey, if your kid goes to a secular pre-K, if they go to a religious one, the state will pay for a certain number of hours in either case. Well, what the state recently said is, hey, we're reevaluating that. We're setting new rules. And they were proposing banning any funding to schools that had religious um, curriculum and religious education. Now, uh, they thought they were going to slip this by because, of course, we're in deep blue Colorado or so they see it at the moment. But what did you guys do? How did you derail this? Because you did. Yeah. And as you you say, you guys, you're absolutely right on. Like, as you know, I work for Advanced Colorado. Never heard of it. And our whole team. I know. (laughs) You know very well what we are. Uh, you're, You're a great part of it as well. And your podcasts are always the best when we have you on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you're so popular. We love you. Uh, but <laughs> but for real, um, our whole team worked on this, just decided this is worth tackling because we work in the education sphere as well. And when something is so blatantly unconstitutional, um, myself and Suzanne Tahiri, another uh, really great attorney, she we put a letter together and just said, hey, like, FYI, state of Colorado, we think you know this. But Supreme Court precedent says you can't not fund religious schools if you're going to fund other private schools. And on top of this, you funded them last year, and now you're proposing pulling it away for the reason that they are religious. Like, not, very few things could be more blatantly unconstitutional. And we just said, hey, if you go forward with this, we will sue you, because this is pretty pretty obvious here. And thankfully, um, I believe it was last week, they, they pulled it back, and now have a new set of rules that do not 
propose banning religious instruction. Or, and, and, to say that correctly, they wouldn't ban religious instruction, but they would ban funding for it. So the practical consequences for this are what? Now, if you are a person who's big on school choice and you've decided you want to leave that public setting of whatever is available, you know, at the kindergarten at your local neighborhood school, what does this change in direction by the governor's office mean? Sure. So it actually relates to preschool specifically and whether or not people agree with the state giving a certain number of hours of preschool for free for certain income levels. They do it. That was passed. The state now does it in Colorado. So if you qualify for the universal pre-K and if you have a child of that age who would qualify for a certain number of hours free every week, um, when they were proposing the anti-religious rules, basically it was saying if you wanted to send your child to a religious preschool, you could not qualify for this funding. So basically, like, if you were, for the people who may be too poor to afford it themselves, they would be forced to pull their kid out of the religious school they otherwise were sending their child to, put them in a secular school. And now it, now the state is putting the correct rules on it that say you as a parent can actually choose. And since the state's funding private education for preschool, your choice as a parent. If it's religious, that's fine. If it's secular, that's fine. So I think that's a really good standard, allowing parents to choose where they want their little three- and four-year-olds to go to school. Now we're talking with Christy Burton-Brown. Uh, what's your new title now with Advance Colorado? Are you the czar, the commodore? Yeah, what are they no. calling you now? What is it? <laughs> That'd be a little fancier, no, just executive vice president. Executive vice president sounds pretty friggin' awesome. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you about this, but you know, you're an education expert here in the state, especially when we talk about things like school choice and conservative values and all that. When you look at this upcoming legislative session that's going to kick off this week, are there things that you're worried about that folks ought to be focusing on that may slip by because education isn't the sexiest topic for the legacy media folks? It isn't always. And actually, George, that's, that's a great question. We're actually going to be putting out our 2024 agenda today. It's actually going to be oh, going awesome. out from Advanced Colorado. Yeah, and there's a number of pieces on it that um, will deal directly with education. And, and almost the flip of what you're asking, it's almost like proactive things oh, great. Think the legislature should be doing. And also that we know some legislators are going to be running bills on this. Um, so I think what people should actually watch for is look for that agenda, but then you know, Democrats, I think some of them are very anti-school choice and maybe against some of these really, really solid ideas. And, and just as a little bit of a preview, some of these ideas deal with making like, like high school credits easier for military kids. And they deal with um, really expanding school choice to kids with special needs. Oh, um, they deal like with that. innovative trade op- trade school options like in high school. So it's, it's things that a lot of the majority of people would get behind. It's creative. It's innovative. It promotes school choice. But watch for the Democrats in the legislature to shut it down anyway. Yeah, I I like all the things that you're talking about. It's just hard for me to envision what the opposition to those things are, especially when you're talking about special needs, you're talking about kids of veterans and all that. Like, what's the pushback on that? You know, I, and I think it remains to be seen. There, there are There is the occasional school choice issue where you can get everyone on board. And I think especially when we do talk about trade school issues or when uh, you'd hope the military kids. Um, special needs kids, unfortunately, a lot of times Democrats just aren't willing to go as far as they need to to help them. I, I think that'll be a really interesting piece this year. But I do know there are some Democrats like James Coleman, Senator Coleman, who are very much in favor of school choice and sometimes is are able to like drag the rest of their party along. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. 
Now, uh, again, under the caption, things just happen while we're on the radio. An email was just received here um, by uh, David Williams, chairman of the party. I don't know if you've received that. Uh, folks listening will know that Christy Burton Brown was the chairman just pri- or chairperson. What chair? What the hell do we call you? <laughs> Whatever you want to call me. I am the Commodore <laughs> of the state GOP just prior to David Williams. I want to read this to you and get your reaction, KBB, if you're willing to give it. Uh, it's it's entitled, What Wanted You to Know About CD5. It says, You deserve to hear this straight from the horse's mouth. After thoughtful consideration, prayer, and reflection with my family, I've decided to run for Congress in the 5th Congressional District. After the surprise retirement of Congressman Doug Lamborn, undoubtedly you're asking, what now? Rest assured, nothing will change for the Colorado Republican Party. As our state bo- party bylaws allow, I will remain as chairman through the course of the primary election where we will continue our work of rebuilding party infrastructure. Da, 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 da. Thoughts on that? I think that's a 100% unethical decision to make. If you're the chairman of the party and you decide to run in what will certainly be one of the most heavily contested primaries this year, uh, and I do say this as a former chairman, you should step down. And, and I do think there's one exception to it. I think you can take a leave of absence and have your vice chair take over for you in that time. I think that would be an ethical thing to do. So take yourself out of the workings of the party, take yourself out of the decision-making process. Um, and the reason I think that's so necessary, um, I do know that under Dave uh, Williams' leadership, the party did change the bylaws to allow themselves to endorse in primaries. I, I am aware of that change. Uh, but the chairman taking it upon themselves to say, hey, I'm just going to assume, I mean, to me, this says, I'm assuming the party's going to endorse me in the primary, so I'm going to continue as chairman. Uh, I think that's very, very unethical. And um, I know, as a former chairman, that so many decisions you make um, do have an impact on many races across the state. So you just shouldn't be running in a contested primary and have yourself as the final authority of those decisions. Do you, how would you respond? Because someone's going to come in and say, hey, KBB was vice chair to Ken Buck when he was in Congress and was running for re-election and remained chair. Do you see a distinction there? I do. He did not have a primary at that time. Well, that's so you it. certainly can that, that's it, right? You that, that, contested primary. that has to be. The, yeah, right. Like if it's the general election, I feel maybe a little bit differently about it, although it makes oh, me yeah. wonder, is it. is the job of state party chair so um, easy that you can also run a <laughs> no. vigorous campaign for Congress? <laughs> no, that, no. That, and that honestly, George, is the other problem beyond the ethics of it, which I strongly believe that one of the highest duties of chairman is to be an ethical representative of the party across the state, someone people can have trust and faith in that you're going to do your job um, without bias. But in addition to that, yes, it's a full-time job. If you're if you're doing the chairman's job right, I, it takes a whole lot of time. And and if you're running in a primary right, that takes a whole lot of time. So I, I don't know how you can do both and give them the full faith effort and time commitment they both deserve. You know, I uh, I think, too, there was some issue with um, your former vice chair, friend of the show and friend Priscilla Ron, when she was going to run for commissioner. I, I think there was some pushback on, hey, you can't stay as vice chair if you're going to run for a, a primary partisan office like commissioner. And that was just commissioner. It sounds like things have changed a bit. Look, I want to get Dave on the on the phone because he's good about answering questions and he doesn't run away from them. But. This one's tough, right? Like folks are stroking checks to the state party to advance the cause of Republicans. 
And now some of that money is going to go to pay for a guy to be state party chair and to pay his salary while he runs in a partisan Republican race against other Republicans. That, that's really a tough optic. Sure. And, and George, I don't know if he takes his salary or not. This I, I, don't I know, know he's either. charged I, consulting yeah. fees to the party. I do know that. Oh, um, no, I didn't know But that. yes, hopefully, hopefully, it's another way of taking a salary. But hopefully he can answer to that. Um, I, I just think regardless of any bylaw change that may or may not have occurred since I was chairman, you're right that you do have to look at the optics of it. And you have to say, what are my responsibilities as chairman? And are my responsibilities higher to myself and to what I want to do and my political ambitions? Or are my responsibilities to the party across the state that people can look at me and say, I'm an unbiased, neutral arbiter. Um, And if the party is now allowed to get to endorse in primaries, which like I said, I know that's the change they've made. uh, That's the party making the choice, not the chairman alone. So that is another problematic thing. Um, what's the logic, if if you know, Christy, on um, why they would allow a state party chairperson to run for any partisan office that had a contested primary? Why is that rule in there? Uh, you know, so I did, and I talked to a lot of people, of course, I have a lot of friends on the yeah. current central committee um, about bylaw changes, and I'm actually not aware of a bylaw change that specifically allows an officer to run for a contested partisan office. The only, and you know, I could be wrong. I haven't read every bylaw change, but the only change I'm aware of is that the party itself, I think, that I think it would be that either the central or executive committee can now endorse a particular Republican in the primary. So that's the only change I'm aware of. Can you imagine, can you imagine the party coming out to endorse the state party chair for any office? And <sighs> I just, I, uh. um, I, the, these are the things that you feel like we would be doing if we had super majorities everywhere, right? Like this isn't what you do when you are sure. fighting an uphill battle into a withering storm of bullets. And that's what it feels like we're doing. Sure, I, I agree. And George, I just think a lot of times, you know this, in politics, you have to make your choices and make your decisions. And you can't do two things at once if you're going to do them well. And I think you have to be responsible to fulfill the obligations of the job you committed to. And hey, if, if your commitments change and if Dave sees this as an incredible opportunity to go run for Congress, he has every right to do that. Yeah, of but course. But I think his obligation, and you, of course you think that too, but I think he also has an obligation to leave the state party in a good, healthy place. And that should mean having a neutral, unbiased chairman who's not out there trying to seek political office for himself. I mean, and I think <laughs> I can't imagine anyone wishing that their state party chairman were actually using their time to campaign for themselves in a very contested primary. I don't care what the bylaws say. Hugely unethical, in my opinion. Okay, tougher one, because she's a friend and because you helped her get in there, but the decision by Congresswoman Boebert to make that CD3 to CD4 switch, any thoughts? Sure, and she is a friend. You're right about that. And I'm actually friends with pretty much everyone who's running in CD4 um, right now, as I'm sure you are. Yep. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think I think it's always hard in a district when, when you haven't lived there and you don't live there. And as chairman, I went to every single county, every single corner of the state, and people may think there's a lot of similarities between rural CD3 and rural CD4, but the people who live in the rural areas of both of those states are going to tell you how different they are. Um, and usually people want to elect someone who really, really under deeply understands the issues that affect them. So, you know, 
I have absolutely seen her get into CD3 and learn all the issues extremely fast. So I know she's, you know, very smart, very capable of learning all those issues. I think that is a top concern, though, of people who live in CD4 is everyone else running in that race has built a life in CD4 and really knows the people here. Um, so, you know, I think that's an issue. I also think her name ID is oh, undeniable. High. Undeniable. And she's very pop- polling shows she's very, very popular in CD4. Um, I think a lot of insiders are aware of some, you know, things that have been in the news that are problematic. But by and large, she's very popular with conservatives and viewed as a fighter. Um, you know, like I said, though, lots of good people in that race. I have a number of friends in that race, and I certainly will watch it with a lot of interest. Christy Burton-Brown, you have been very generous with your time, um, but I think that you get to do that because, of course, you've canceled school for the kids. I'm kidding. I know it was another entity <laughs> that does that, but uh, homeschooling day off from because of the weather, I presume. It's really hard to get from one room to the next with this weather like this. I'm joking. <laughs> you I'm got it, joking. George. You got it. KBB, congratulations <laughs> on the uh, big win convincing the governor to do the right thing with its, uh, with our monies when it comes to religious schools. That's a huge win. Uh, very happy about it, and thanks for having me on, George. Can't wait to see the agenda that you guys roll out today. Thank you so much. That's Christy Burton-Brown. Took Christy Long. Lots of stuff going on. It's just some of the stuff while we're on the freaking phone. We'll talk about that when we come back. We're trying to get Dave Williams on the phone. He has never been afraid to come on here before, and I don't expect that to change. But we've definitely got the big questions to ask uh, now that he's made the announcement. He will run for CD5 and remain the state party Chairman, thoughts, 303-696-1971. George Brockler on The George Show at 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here after a brief struggle with a cord uh, that attaches to this. Uh, listen, I, th- I love that phone call with KBB because it got us on so many topics I want to talk about. The breaking news, of course, David Williams, the state party chair and a friend of the show, a guy who's been on a bunch. I expect to have him on a bunch more after this, announcing he will run for Doug Lamborn's soon-to-be-vacated seat while maintaining his chairmanship of the state GOP. What do you think about that? What do you think about our party today? 303-696-1971, George Brockler, 710. KNUS.